0: Live from Sydney, this is General Ike, Building Jerusalem. Our guest today is Omar Ibn Mahmoud. Omar is a Palestinian refugee now living in Australia. He is a uh, repairer of medical equipment, especially dental equipment, and he is a Muslim. I wanted to say a devout Muslim, but he insisted just a Muslim. Omar, it's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I um I wanted to start with just a really uh, sort of quick overview of your your life leading to you coming to this country. Like, where were you born, and how, and where did you live along
1: the way? I was born in Kuwait. That is in the Gulf region in the Middle East. Lived there for seven years, and when I was seven, I moved along with my family to. I lived there for almost four years, four years and a half, and we then moved back to Jordan. From there, we moved to United Arab Emirates, completed my high school education, returned to Jordan to complete my university degree. And after that, again back to United Arab Emirates to work and live where I got married there. And almost four years ago, three, three years ago, I moved permanently to Australia, started working. I have a loving family, two beautiful girls, and that sums up my life so far. <laughs> okay. Your, your father was born where? He was born in Rafa. That is a part of uh, Gaza in mid-1950s. But when he was six or months years old, I'm not sure, he moved to Kuwait and lived most of his life in Kuwait.
0: And your mother was born.
1: She was born in Jordan, and she is Jordanian.
0: And your parents met
1: in Kuwait. Sorry. Your parents met in Kuwait. Yeah, yeah. My grandparents from my mother's side, my grandparents uh, used to live in Kuwait because Kuwait at that time, in that right before the Iraqi war in the nineteen ninety, for a very long time was considered the developed region where you can work and make good money and good life.
0: So your, um, your citizenship, or lack thereof, in how does that work?
1: That is the difficult part because I'm a Palestinian refugee so who's, who's never been to Palestine, where I'm originally from. So I can say I'm Palestinian, but I don't have a citizenship. I'm holding a travel document from Egypt. That allows me to travel, as they say in the uh, in the document, to all the countries in the world. But actually, I have limited access to countries of the world, even Egypt itself.
0: And that that's because your um, the citizenship laws, what is that in Kuwait at the time, where that you get citizenship or from your father.
1: That is basically still applies in all the countries in the the Middle East. You don't get the citizenship of the country where where you are born, but the citizenship or the status is inhibited from your parent, your father, not from your mother.
0: And is is it very difficult for Palestinians to get citizenship in other Arab countries? Almost
1: impossible.
0: Almost Almost impossible. impossible.
1: Almost impossible unless you make uh, a big investment or if you are if you have lived there long enough, and not only that if you have the good connections with the right people who can uh, nominate you for citizenship, so normal people, even if they live for a very long time, they are not eligible for citizenship Why is that? Because the countries prefer to maintain their cities, their population, and not let the uh, other citizen from other countries uh, get the same uh, advantages the citizens get. That's the general situation.
0: Do you feel like that's that's true of like uh, people from other countries in general, or
1: like most? That's, that's mainly for almost all the other countries in general. That's right.
0: So most, most countries in the region don't want anyone coming from outside and getting citizenship? That's correct. Is it is it more difficult for Palestinians than it would
1: be for... I won't say that because once you get the, the chance to be a citizen, you can get a citizenship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the difficulties for Palestinians, not the citizenship, it's difficult for all the other citizens from other countries to get the citizenship of the country in which they live. But for these citizens from these countries, they don't have any reason to get any other citizenship like any Arab person. Why would he get another citizenship? It's really critical for Palestinians because they basically most of them they don't have the right to live in their land and travelling among these countries is so difficult that these countries don't help them travel more easily among these countries so they won't let them settle make it harder for them compared to other countries to travel hoping that one day they will get back come back return to their homeland
0: so that that's like a and what would you say, like a deliberate and ex- like explicit policy on the part of these other countries?
1: It is. It is. They're doing their best to, as they, as they explain it, or claim to make sure the Palestinians don't forget their right to return and live in their country.
0: So when, when you decided to change track of it, when you decided to come live in Australia, why, why Australia?
1: Well, when you're seven years old and you see the hurdle you go through with your family and not being accepted in any other country, you realize that at some day you, do, you don't want to live in this system anymore. So basically, even in my high school i want, I knew that I had to change the status of my citizenship and the options I had well, the legal options were Australia and Canada. The reason I preferred Australia maybe the weather hmm. maybe the the job uh, opportunities and uh, Well, I'd say it was meant for me to come here at some point because I started the process. And I started a long time ago. In fact, I took the first and initial steps maybe in 2008 and granted the immigration in 2014.
0: Took you six years from when you first applied to when you were example, From the
1: first, not the first I applied, the first I decided to take step on to move to Australia. I applied in 2012 and got the approval in 2014. So through this time I had to work on the uh, English test, the uh, qualification assessment process. I get married, I had to include my wife or my uh, daughter in the application. That took some time until the date of the application.
0: Great. Do you remember, like, your first few weeks in Australia when you came here?
1: Actually, I do. I first landed in Melbourne. That was in August, and it was it was winter, I believe. It was night time. It was really dark, <laughs> and uh, we stayed in a hotel in Melbourne CBD, and spent the following ten days just. Uh, Travelling, not travelling, just uh, checking the neighbourhood in Melbourne. I really liked it. I really liked the uh, the multicultural life in Melbourne, um, the coffee, uh, yeah. How did it
0: feel? Like what were those first few days like for you?
1: Well when I came, I came for a holiday, that was the first, uh, that's the first, uh, the, that's the reason for the first visit. Mm-hmm. I came to spend a holiday to make sure that uh, I landed here and uh, consolidated my status. And it felt like a new life awaiting me. What's really interesting is that uh, during my almost 30 year before moving to Australia, I traveled overseas to Europe on two occasions, once to the Netherlands and once to Germany and rem- I remember I remember when I first arrived to Australia, it was really nice to understand what other people talking in the street, rather than, other than hearing people talking Deutsch or Dutch and <laughs> having no clue what everybody's talking about in the street. So th- that felt good, well, yeah, at least I understand what people are seeing in the street. So you came to, to Melbourne first and then afterwards, soon after you came to Sydney? I returned back to Dubai where I used to work, uh, completed eight months of, I stayed there for eight months of work, then I thought it's time to move forward, came to Australia, Sydney because I have some relatives here in Sydney, I uh, so thought they, they might make it a bit easier for me to live and blend in the community and uh, I was Blessed enough, with Allah's help of course, that I found a job really quickly and got reunited with my family. It was about this time I think that we met, right? That's correct. I think it was the first week in my uh, arrival here in in Sydney. Uh, It was a very interesting experience, uh, a first time experience and uh, it resulted in a friendship that uh, is still uh, going on. A little of I Do you want to tell the story
0: from your point of view, what that was like?
1: You were young. <laughs> Younger for sure. Uh, and I remember that you stopped and was like, wow, what are you talking? What is this language you're talking? You're, I, I, I believe you knew it's Arabic, but you wanted to understand the accent because I'm not sure if you we aware of the Palestinian accent or the Jordanian accent, in fact, because I was sitting with Jordanian people at that time. And you introduce yourself as a Jew person. It was a shock for me. It was the first time in my life I see a real person, a Jew person, face to face. So, yeah, I worked on that. It was... Uh, was hard honestly to say yes because uh, I had some doubt at that time although the guys who were sitting with uh, with us were like "Mm, not really welcome and then we met again in the city we had a good talk at that time I remember and uh, I think your study for psychology helped a lot because you knew what kind of questions to ask (laughs) And how to take the conversation from any point that you are at.
0: That's thank you. I um, I really I remember that as being like a very um, pivotal moment for me as well because um, when I I think uh, talking with you was the first time that I really spoken deeply with a Muslim about Islam. And um, it was it was transformational for me because like I I, I think like that was um, when I I sort of I, I think the idea that I had in my head before going in was like of, um Islam is this very scary thing and Muslims is this very scary thing and it was um, and just it was utterly alien to me. And then one of the things that really um, that really shifted my, what would you say, my disposition towards this was um, sitting with you and, and discussing uh, the stories of the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu um, alayhi wa sallam. I feel like for some time I'd, I'd sort of, I'd been interested in a whole lot of different religions and um, I suppose cultures in general, and i noticed that you can learn a lot about a culture, whatever sort of culture from like what, who who's their example of the person that is the best, like that has lived the best, that lived the best in the world. And like what sort of traits did that person have? And I really, um, I feel like, you know, with a lot of like the ancient Greek heroes, they're just people who are really strong, like Her- Heracles, he's just, he's good at fighting. Uh, Gilgamesh in the Sumerian myth is like good at fighting that's like he's able to dominate everyone else and I really found that with um with Islam you know the, the figure of the Nabi Muhammad and um, who's like really at the center he um his conduct from the stories you told me resonated so deeply with me as like beautifully pious and stuff that was very familiar to me from like tales of the righteous people from my own faith and from other faiths that I'd looked into. That was like
1: a big, big thing for me. Well, Prophet Muhammad is the main character as a human being in our faith. He's more precious than our parents, our children, and even ourselves. I believe many people don't understand this significance of Prophet Muhammad to Muslims people in his time were more ready to give themselves give their lives their money everything for him and not because of his message because for 40 years before he was given the message the prophecy He was known for his honesty, his amana, which is being faithful. uh, With all the traits you can find in a human being, even without religion, he had them. He never lied to anybody in his life. So for a person who has a trait for four years and to come and make things up, that didn't make sense to any people and that was one of the factors many people followed him mm. besides the, the strength of the message itself and he was a living example and a role model for everything good in this life everything good and he went through everything so whenever anybody comes through any incident or any situation in life, and if he tries to compare it to what Prophet Muhammad went through, you will find the big shortage in his his situation compared to what Muhammad, Muhammad had and from, and it's, it's really enough for us that when you have a person who in our beliefs who took you from the darkness to a light a person guides you to the right path, you will be thankful for him all your life, and that's one of the least things we are thankful for. So for Muslims, Prophet Muhammad is the, the most precious creature on earth, and I believe if other people understood that, can understand a lot of the Muslims. Reactions and actions and I think I think if they just study his sera which is his life of biogra- biology biography sorry mm-hmm. they can they will be impressed with the things that happened in his life
0: I know this is obviously a really really big question but could you speak a bit about his character and conduct
1: well there's a word that summarizes his uh, his character and it was as described his this is the nickname from before sorry
0: this is the, the nickname from before he was a prophet
1: no no no. no. that was by uh, Aisha is his uh, wife one of his de- dearest wife and she said his manners and his lifestyle was Quran so he was implementing the Quran on 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 life so it's a very big question. I don't, I don't have a specific thing to talk about, but if we look at every good trait in life, we will have an example. Honesty, uh, bravery, even in, in battles. He used to be the first in the battle. He was never a coward, he was always. And even Ali bin Abi Talib, his cousin, he, was, he is considered one of the most, one of the bravest warriors in Islam. He's 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 so so phenomenal. Even some Muslims even think he's better than Hercules. <laughs> but he used to say that when the battle gets really hard, we just take cover after uh, with of Prophet Muhammad. He will fight for us. That's and um, just an example. So. Yeah, it's 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 a big question. Very, big. Yeah, I, very big. Can
0: I try to narrow it down here for you? So, so th- there's a sense I get from from speaking with you and from speaking with, uh, I think a, a bunch of Muslims since you, but re- but I think I've really first noticed this from speaking with you, that when um, when I hear Muslims speak about the Rasul, um, that they they uh, they speak about him as if He's someone they know personally. That's, that's the impression I get. And so, is that, is that something that resonates for you? Do you feel like you have that, that sort of personal understanding of him?
1: Well, maybe because of the so many stories and hadith and traits delivered to us about him, mm-hmm. we feel that we know everything about him. Even... Some hadith describe him in a way that uh, makes him, that makes you visualize him, even as a person. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, I'm not sure how to answer that question. That's fair. Well, I'm not sure. Let,
0: let, let me try and move it move yeah. around a bit. It's, I'm thinking of it now in terms of, like one of the things that I notice with people that I know, right? that I know very well, that I, I feel like I've spent a lot of time with, is that I can sort of think of a situation, right? Like, oh, I imagine I went to the zoo with them and this happened. Like, how would they react? And that ability to sort of sort of just intuitively know, oh, this is how they'd react in this situation, even if you haven't seen them in that situation, because you know, you're so familiar with how they'd react in all these other situations. That feels to me like one of those crucial um, differences between someone you know personally and someone you don't. And I... I get that impression very much from speaking with you.
1: Well, that's the, 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 that is the reason for being, for sending Prophet Muhammad that not only to tell people what to do, just to show them how to do it and be an example. I believe the best way to convince people of something is to live that cause and be an honorable role model and he said, Prophet Muhammad, I did not leave anything, but I explained it to you. So everything in life, because Islam is not about just how to worship Allah. It's about, it's a, it's a lifestyle. And he implemented that in his life, in his 23 years of in prophecy. So almost every scenario he went through and he explained it, and he let us know what should know, what should do, what we should do. Maybe that's from there comes that the the, 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 the sense that of knowing him because mm-hmm. we know a lot about him, not only from what uh, even what his enemies said, even from, from what friends said, but even from his enemies. And I think, if I understand the question well, I think that's, Hopefully uh, yeah. answers your question.
0: Well that that's it. I, I the impression I get is that when um, when a Muslim is living consciously like there's this line in um just at the beginning of the second chapter of the Quran. I, I don't know the Arabic, but it's um Al baqarah Two two. this is the book about which there is no doubt a book of guidance for those who are conscious of Allah. And I was um I was really interested in this idea of being conscious of Allah, and part of what that idea seems to represent to me is is a state of being, um, let's say, undistracted by specific details, and like aware of the, the entirety of the situation, and and what seems to arise naturally when with that awareness for Muslims is to conduct themselves. Really, um, sort of, uh, with with some sense, with a sense of awareness that they're conducting themselves like the prophet.
1: As I said, Islam is a religion that asks to ask its followers to give their best in everything, and many were uh, many acts of worship in Islam are self. self-monitoring I believe if that's the word mm-hmm. so it's it's mo- you can do a lot of things In uh, in hiding or you can uh, you can manipulate people you can t- to show people what uh, what you do is not what you have in your heart okay mm-hmm. you can deceive people but Islam in, in general is tends to make the most of people Internally, to have something we call wazir. Wazir means you have a conscious that will always push you forward to the good, because you have to go to do good to do good, because you know there is an afterlife and you're gonna be uh, judged on what you did, not on what people thought of you. Right. And Prophet Muhammad sallallahu said, "If you follow what I do and what I live like." You shall not uh, fail. Mm. So, if if I could just, um, I
0: I really feel that like that this this is such a fruitful um, topic of conversation. Once we once like you really sort of pull the pull the skin open on it. So, just um, if, as an example, could you give an, ex- an example from the hadith of the Sunnah about the um, say like the the charitability? the mercy of the
1: prophet okay I have two contradicting things in my mind so I'm trying to choose one <laughs> well, okay
0: can I can I just narrow them like in terms of the way the, the sort of general mode of conduct the sort of way he would interact with other people
1: okay all right so as I said before that we are always looking forward for Looking for rewards mainly in the afterlife, so it's not about this life because this life is just a path in in our way in our way to the afterlife, which is a divine living, heavens or hell. So in our sixty or seventy years, it's like a test, and we know the the answers. Or but the the thing is. We know the questions, but do we know the answers? There answer are questions about religion, about life, about Creator, about prophecy, and about what you do in your life. And the, 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 mon- the most important thing, while we know the questions, are we prepared for the answers? For example, being in, in many, many occasions, especially when it comes to spending money for the sake of Allah. When one of the times when Prophet Muhammad SAW asked for charity for one of the uh, good causes and one of the highest companions Abu Bakr when he came and he brought his all money, all his fortune and he put it in, uh, well that was Umar al-Khattab, he brought half of his money and he put it to, to Prophet Muhammad and he told him what did you leave to your family? And he said, I left the half. And then came Abu Bakr, the greatest companion, and he brought all his money, and he told him, what did you leave to your family? He said, I left him, Allah and his Prophet. And his response was, no matter what Abu Bakr does after today, it's not going to harm him. Whatever he does, does not going to affect him. Like he's guaranteed the heavens. And there was another story after his death, when one of the companions, the really wealthy companions, he, he, he's a trader. And in one of his trades, he had a, uh, uh, he had a uh, convoy mm. with, I think, a thousand camels. So a thousand, a thousand camels, you are talking about like a thousand containers nowadays. And they were all full of money and full of goods. And he was so wealthy that you are talking about the person who has like a a fleet of a thousand trucks or something and one of the companions said uh, about said a hadith about this guy that this guy as per prophet Muhammad said he's gonna enter the heavens but crawling it means he's not gonna run or walk to heaven the judgment day is going to be crawling on his feet uh, on his knees and his uh, and his uh, hands so when he heard that hadith he said i bear witness that this all this thousand camel is just for sake of allah i don't want anything i don't want to go crawling to the heavens i want to go running so he donated all the thousand camels just for sake of allah just because he heard a hadith about him that he might go to heavens crawling so that's the people working for the afterlife for the good of the other people
0: so that 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 like um, what would you say that that way of living that keeping your eye on the afterlife is what
1: um, gives rise to a very charitable nature in this life absolutely because even in charity you are not giving your money it's, it's 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 the money you you earn is something that where allah give to you allah facilitated the means for you to get that money and there's a very nice story of uh, aisha again his beloved wife mm. when she used to give charity to the poor she used to uh, add a, a, a cologne or a sense of perfume on them and they asked her why do you did do that because she said when i give the charity i know i'm putting in Allah's hands first, because this is for Allah's sake, not for. The, so it's, it's when you do anything you are doing it for the sake of Allah, because you are looking for the rewards in the afterlife. And this life, it doesn't matter how much you earn, if you link man, a billion or a, a ten dollar or anything. When you when you die, we're not going to take anything of that. So what's the what's the what's the meaning of it? Mm. It's it will make your life maybe easier, but for how long? 10 20 30 years what is 30 or 50 years compared to a lifetime infinity life and the afterlife i feel like um there there are a lot of like uh, sort of
0: hardball questions that i want to sort of throw you away so um is, is it cool if i throw off you and then you you uh if any that you're not comfortable answering we don't have to go um so the, the the first is i think like a lot of people um, have a a lot of people in the modern world who aren't Muslim have a, what would you say a fear of Islam or a fear of Muslims um, and a lot of that I think comes down to a sense of, well I mean what where, where do you think that comes from, what's your sense of that?
1: Like in Islam and like any other religion it's there are the good people and the bad people. It's not about all the religion. So the religion is a means for you to make, to to be good in your life and to to bring the best of you. But it doesn't mean that there are no bad people in that religion. And I believe throughout the history, most of the, the bloodshed was not caused by Muslims. Most of the bloodshed caused by Muslims, but will not come for example, for World War II, World War I, when millions of people died and blame Christianity or Judaism for it because it's active bad people. Mm-hmm. So bad people, bad Muslim people, who gave the bad impression about Islam and the help of people who highlighted the religion, not the people who did that bad thing, caused that fear. Well i have to give this really good example if you have a mercedes benz which is a 2017 2018 best car in the in the market the best car in the market and if you put a lousy driver in the uh, on the behind the steering wheel and if he drives it and crashes the car badly are you going to blame the car or are you going to blame the driver right so i s- I sometimes excuse the people who are afraid of Islam, but it's, it's the car here. Blame the people who used it as their means of terrifying people. I do understand that you had, the, you have your, you had your bad impression about it and partly it's the bad people's fault, mm-hmm. but every person has the right and has the obligation to go and read about it. I didn't know anything about Judaism before we met, and I had a lot of prejudged ideas about Judaism. Mm-hmm. And the more I learned about it, I realized that we have more in common than we have in, in that differentiates us. There are some basics that are different, but we have a lot of common that we can use to live together.
0: Inshallah, man. If you if you had uh, one thing that springs to your mind, one um, either one uh, misconception you want to clear up, or like something that you want to say about Islam that is, you know, meaningful to you that you feel like people who aren't Muslim often don't know and would do well to
1: know. What would that What would that message be? I said it before. I think personally. I learned, I didn't say I learned extensively about other religions, but I interacted with a lot of people from other religions. And because I had a good exposure to Islam at some point in my life, it's, it's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's, if, if you really embrace it, which I did in some part of my time, I didn't, I don't, I'm not right now, honestly, the peace the calm and the beauty you feel it's unimaginable it's when you take the, the side of the person who created the causes sorry when you sorry it's just said when you take the side of the of the entity of Allah who created the causes you feel really strong you, it's it's like if there are a, a, a no, a precious, a precious king, an unfair, unjust king, were a manager or a person in this life, you won't feel. Uh, you won't. You won't feel uh, lost, mm. because at some point you'll see that the 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 creator who makes and created these people can't change things in in a, in a day, in a second, in a minute
0: so your, your connection to the what would you say the cause of, of Allah directly allows you to sort of um, survive any of the uh, specifics
1: about humans that may have temporary dominion of your life here and there that does not mean that you have, you have to cut yourself from people that's they have something called taking the causes you have to link yourself mainly to Allah and then Work from your side on making things work.
0: What did you say? Taking the
1: causes. <sighs> well, the thing is, let me explain it like that. For example, if you say that we know that Allah is the one who one who gives the uh, gives you the uh, the the money, the food of your day. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not enough just to sit sit and wait for the rizq the food or the money to come to you you have to work for it Right. so you have first to make things rely on Allah first then do the things that are needed to to, to, to deserve what you earn or do what you need and that's exactly what the, uh, the opposite so that's exactly the same when talking about anything else so you have to make your main concerns about Allah and satisfying him and then being good to people and making sure that you make good relationship with people. But don't fear anyone because if you are with Allah, you will not forget you.
0: Beautiful. One, one final question. Um, this podcast, as you know, is called Building Jerusalem. And um, I, I, I know you have uh, a lot to say about the holy city um, Al Quds, <laughs> as uh, it is called in Arabic, the holy, the holy place. Is that right?
1: Al Quds, yeah.
0: As um, and and I think for for me and for a lot of people, it's sort of like part real city and part symbol of you know what could be. What's what's your? I mean, if things go really well, inshallah, they should. What's your what's your vision of a better world? What's your vision of a better Jerusalem?
1: That's a tough question. I don't have the answer to that question. Well. For me personally, mm-hmm. the good thing is to be able to go there and pray in uh, Masjid Al-Haram al-Aqsa freely and uh, securely.
0: You'd like to be able to go yeah. and pray there? Yeah. Inshallah it should happen in good time. Inshallah. So. It's because um, it's, right now you, you don't have the legal right to enter. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, in in um in the proper time may, uh, may we rejoice together and may you um, may you have the opportunity to offer the prayers that you want.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Omar, a pleasure as ever. <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: Thanks to Perrin Walker and Daniel Kenny. This is General Ike, Building Jerusalem.